Ladies and gentlemen, it's 2022 and 100 years of the British Broadcasting Corporation. That's right, the stalwart of all Western pop culture turns 100. And to celebrate, we have the last ever Jodie Whittaker episode of Doctor Who. That's right, this is Who's Raven On? The very best in time and space in terms of a Doctor Who recap subsection Raven on podcast analytical thingy, which are all words that if you assemble in the right order, make a semblance of sense. Anyway, I'm Natalie Bohensky and with me to recap this final Dirty Whitaker episode, he's a man who's got a leather jacket and a parachute and is about to jump off this building we call Club Podcast. It's Stuart Late. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Yes, we could, we should all hope that the TARDIS just suddenly and for no reason materializes underneath us when we jump <laughs> off buildings. Stu, uh, in real life, like in if we go, I mean, if our podcast is a TARDIS, we're kind of jumping around in time and space, aren't we? Sure, indeed. We're twenty four hours since we recorded our last Hot D episode, and now we're back to record Doctor Who. The power of the doctor, and given the, the given the amount of extra loved personalities that are in this episode, it makes only the best sense to bring in our extra loved personality to help us decipher this episode. Please welcome our London correspondent. He's just found out there's a new prime minister and is scrambling to dismantle his Liz Truss fan webpage. <laughs> it's Tom Selinsky. Hey. Hello there. I didn't know I was going to have to decipher the episode. That is a very, very high bar to clear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, Tom. I was, I was really watching it going, well, I'm glad I've got Stu and Tom on to help with this because I've got not, <laughs> no idea what's happening. <laughs> but I'm enjoying it all the same. Uh, initial responses from, from, from you both. Uh, Tom, Tom, by all means, get, our guest should go first. Tom, it is so, your national cultural heritage. Yeah. So, yeah. so here's the thing. Um, I watched the episode, I made some notes, I wrote up a review for my blog, and then I went online to see what the kind of consensus was. And of course, there's never a consensus. There's always going to be every possible opinion. You know, if you show enough people the same piece of art, eventually you'll hear every conceivable reaction to it. Hmm. Uh, but I was surprised, I have to say, how many people saying not just that they liked it, but people saying, I haven't really been a fan of this era. Uh, I haven't really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought um, Flux was a mess. But finally, uh, we have a, a wonderful episode to go out on. Why couldn't Chris Chibnall have been giving us this from the beginning? And uh, I confess I'm a little bit mystified by this because this seems to me to be all the problems that Flux had times two with the colour turned up to 11. Uh, <laughs> but it has kind of made me pause and take stock uh, so I'm going to put my baseball back, my baseball bat back in my <laughs> knapsack just for a few moments. And put away the nitro nine. First of all, yeah, put away the nitro nine and just see if I can take a step back from this episode and try and see what other people liked about it. Now, your reactions may steer me back to my earlier conclusions. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll go on the journey together. Well, do you know, Tom, I, I think I have a theory about why the reaction to this episode was so positive, And I think it's why I had a, a vaguely positive reaction to it. I have lots of thoughts on on the various shenanigans that were got up to in this episode, but they kind of nailed the ending, which pays for everything, I think. Like that that final those final few scenes, they nailed the emotion of it. And and I think it, it was almost despite itself, like like despite Chris Chibnall's best efforts. Um 
just the emotion of the scene and the way that everything sort of played out, I feel like it really it really brought it home strong. And then that final regeneration scene, that might actually be, now that I think about it, maybe my favorite regeneration of the modern era, which is a big call. That's a big call, Stu. It's a hell of a thing. I, I, I'd have to think about it some more. I have to have some time to sit with it. But it really leaves you on a on a bittersweet but positive high note. And I think people were reacting to that specifically. They could forgive a lot of the nonsense that came before because it just really stuck the landing. I have to say that I had the experience of, I've only just finished watching this as we record. So in the last few hours, I watched the episode because I've been so, I've been so full of hot D. Um, <laughs> Never you get can get open for that, Nat. <laughs> so I was watching it and I was kind of getting this bombardment of, because the thing about House of the Dragon is even though a lot happens, it's very steady filmmaking. There's a lot of pauses. There's a lot of, you know, intrigue. There's a, It's slow. It's no, not slow, measured. It's measured. Hmm. So measured people, is a good word, yeah. People take time. If a fast scene needs to be fast, it is, but most of it, a lot of it's plotting, a lot of it's intrigue, a lot of it's, you know, alliances. And so I could kind of sit and absorb this, you know, and be in the world. With this episode of Doctor Who coming into it, it was like I was in a fever dream of, <laughs> you know, an android dreaming of electric sheep. I don't even know if that's the right <laughs> reference, but it was like being bombarded, as you say, Tom, with, you know, the colour turned up to 11. And there were so many things thrown at me. Uh, so I'm fascinated because Stu says that uh, he thought the ending really worked for him emotionally. And part of that will be that scene with uh, all those people sitting around talking about the Doctor. How many of those people, Nat, did you know who they were? <laughs> okay. Just out so, of interest. It's not a that's test. A, that's one a very good that, question, actually, though, Tom. Yes. One of the things that kind of bugs me about this is, like, I'm 50. Chris Chibble's 52. He is an old fan writing the show for other old fans but it should be a show that appeals to everybody you should be able to watch this at six and 66 uh and i think that you are somewhere in that range <laughs> so uh, what you. did you make of that final scene well i definitely had there were a couple of people there who i didn't know particularly the older gentleman ian or something like that I think that Katie Manning was in there. Am I right? Yes, she was, yes. That's because I saw her at a Doctor Who event like back in 2000. It's actually, <laughs> name drop. I saw her <laughs> at a Doctor Who fan event that that sort of travelled the country a bit. It was Sylvester McCoy, Colin Baker and Katie Manning and it was hosted by Tim Ferguson and it was just as the first, uh, well, as the Christopher Eccleston series, the first of the new era had right. kind of popped up. And they were obviously cashing in and they were doing a bit of a tour. And that is where Colin Baker said I was pretty, hence why he's my <laughs> Because I'm shallow and vain. And pretty. So I, well, thank you. This was many years ago, I must say. <laughs> but, uh, um, so I knew Katie Manning kind of from that. I also got it through context clues. I was going to say, the, 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 so because you got what was going on in the scene, though. Like, like you, you understood what was happening. Even Chris Chibnall, let's fuck with the continuity, isn't going to put a random companion in there we've never seen before. <laughs> yes, exactly. Even he. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, if he did? There's just a <laughs> random old guy like, oh, yes, I travelled with the Doctor. <laughs> I saw that um, Dan from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast tweeted something which I didn't get at the time, but now I kind of do, which is, oh, why don't we invite Noel Clark to be part of the Doctor? <laughs> 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 Google's Noel Clark and then just, oh, no. 
because uh, he's been in a bit of trouble. But yeah, I, I mean, it would have been nice to have maybe like a Martha or uh, what was her name, Clara. But again, they maybe don't suit the vibe of what they were going for there, which was the the classic. There was a very era. clear decision, yeah, to celebrate yeah. the classic era. And if there are Sorry. going to be any yeah. any returning doctors or companions to save that for the sixtieth, when we know David Tennant and um, yes. Catherine uh, Catherine Ryan, yeah, what is Catherine her name? Tate. Catherine Tate. Yes, thank yeah. you, Catherine Tate are coming back. That's right. So I realised, I was like, oh, okay, so this is very much the, and it makes sense, 100 years of the BBC, Doctor Who's been around for, well, almost 60 years of that, so more than half the BBC's life. So that makes sense to kind of have that knowledge. And even though I don't know much of the era, uh, the eras where Tegan and Ace come from, uh, because I don't know much about Classic Who at all, I still know that those were their doctors and they had lovely little moments together uh, with Peter Davison and with Sylvester McCoy and with the scene where all the doctors were like changing into one another as part of, you know, that that sort of sitting at the edge guarding. I don't know if it makes any sense continuity-wise or law-wise, but it was really sweet to see them all kind of, you know, berating themselves. <laughs> and <laughs> and the best line in the episode for me was was the Doctor asking Paul McGann why he didn't wear robes and yes. sort of yeah. going, oh, there's always one. And I was like, yes, <laughs> Paul McGann, and he's crumpet. So I like that it's canon that Paul McGann is like the odd man out. He's always just like, oh, I'm just doing my own thing. It's fine. But he's the cool one. And yeah, I he's the cool that. Doctor. So, so I think they played those kind of moments quite well. And so even for someone like me who doesn't know that, I, I still got that sense of nostalgia of, oh, catching up with someone you haven't seen for a while and saying you're great and you were always great. And the only thing that didn't really happen was the doctor didn't have that moment like in um, when David Tennant met Sarah Jane again and yeah. they had that like my Sarah Jane kind of thing. They, she didn't really get to have that with Tegan and Ace and I don't know if that was just they didn't want to repeat that but at least Peter Davison and Sylvester McCoy, they kind of got to have those those moments. So I thought that was really sweet and well done. So there was a lot of, you know, like, oh, that's really nice that I, you know, the softy in me, whether or not it made sense in the story, enjoyed those moments. And then it gets the- frustratingly close, I think, in those moments to actually being about something. For me, yes. the key line is when Ace and Tegan meet Yaz and they say, we used to be you. So this could be yeah. a story about what happens when you have to leave the Doctor. And yes. it should be heartbreaking for Yaz, who loses the Doctor at this crucial time, having kind of seen what's on the other side. But there's no time or space given to any of that. And the Doctor no. actually dies kind of arbitrarily, as far as I can see. It was yes. kind of cool to see Yaz cradling the Doctor. It's a shot that actually looks an awful lot like Peter Davison's last episode with the Doctor carrying Perry to the TARDIS. This time the companion carries the Doctor to the TARDIS. But then she just goes, should we have an ice cream? You better be off now. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't feel like anything. It's just the the whole story is things happening because it's time for them to happen now. Yes. To be fair, though, it is consistent characterization with this era of the show where the Doctor <laughs> is strange and awkward and doesn't handle like emotions well, to the point where it feels like they've almost transcended bad writing to actual characterization. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> what, what does Yaz do when the Doctor says, I have to do this on my own? She just goes, okay, fine. There's a Capaldi episode where uh, Jenna Coleman's trying to persuade him to bring her boyfriend back from the dead and she's dropping TARDIS keys into a volcano one by one and then it eventually turns out and she's furious with him eventually turns out that this was all a fantasy which he concocted and then he says I'll I'll, I'll do what you ask and she says don't you hate me now and he says do you think our relationship means so little 
that I would let it go just because you betrayed me. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's, it's such an it's amazing stunning. scene. Stunning. Yeah. Uh, and he would. I'll, I'll be off then. No. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's true. It's what? true, and that's been the show throughout this era. Yeah. Before I just get to the minute challenge, because I have kind of a good joke that I'd like to lead off my minute. Challenge. <laughs> um, so if you wouldn't mind letting me go first, so. sure. I'll clear, clear the floor. Yeah, if you're listening, it better be a good joke now. Now, <laughs> no, I just wanted to mention that Yaz, when they said to Yaz, Tegan and Ace, we used to be you. She looks horrified, and <laughs> and I don't know whether that was the right reaction to have or whether that was the totally wrong reaction to have in the sense that, so she's looking at two women who are obviously in their 60s, is that right, mm. 50s, 60s? Uh, talking yeah, both, about, both in their 60s, I think. Yeah, so talking about having travelled with the doctor 30, 40 years ago, and it's almost like she's going, oh, my God, you're old and ugly. That's kind of the weird, and maybe that's my vanity kind of playing into it in my own stuff, but it was this weird like, oh, no, I'm going to end up looking like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think that was what we we're supposed to get from that. I think no, it was more, more just the idea of being left behind. But I don't think it was either. But but no. But that's my point. Is oh, the doctor leaves you, and then you become old and and persnickety, and you know, yeah. I don't know if it was that, but it it, it just came across as weird to me. Whereas I sort of think of, of another way where Yaz goes, "These are your former companions. Hug them." Like tells the doctor because the doctor's just standing there being weird. Like being so weird, like David Tennant, when he saw Sarah Jane, he he had to hold himself back from kind of acknowledging who she was. Well, well, and- there's, a, there's a weird meta thing going on there because David Tennant was a super fan, like, and, and still is, like, you know, he, he was genuinely a fan of Doctor Who, whereas I don't think Jodie Whittaker had even watched the show before she took over. So there's like, there was like a level of... Extra acting. You know, David Tennant is reacting to Elizabeth Sladen. Yeah. While the Doctor is... is seeing Sarah Jane again whereas like this and you know it's it's just like a moment and it's deliberately written and played as extremely awkward because for some reason we've decided this is the the awkward doctor yeah and I just thought what what about a universe where Yaz went doctor what are you doing hug them if you if you you leave me one and set it up if you leave me one day and then you come back I would expect you to hug me or something like that like Mm -hmm. Like I would expect you to shake my hand or, you know, and, and that way they could set that up later in the episode when it's like, you come back, you know, come back and say, hello, I'm wait- I'll be waiting for my hug. Or, you know, you could set that up. Like Tom said, you could have some more meaning at the end rather than just ice cream on the top of the TARDIS. Yeah, but this absolutely. is the big problem with this, this whole era, uh, right? There is, you put Yaz in this extraordinary position where uh, maybe suspecting this, that her time with the doctor is coming to an end She's faced with people who've already been through this and she doesn't really react in any meaningful way at all. But I struggle to think of any action she could take or line she could say, which would make me go, oh, that's so Yaz. Or even Yaz would never say that. Sure. She's just, she's just a blank. And given that the plot doesn't really make any sense... Uh, and uh, given that it's just stuffed to the gills with fan service, that there aren't even any characters who we can say, oh, yeah, I know who that person is. I know how they'd react in this situation. I mean, what are we left with? We're yeah, left exactly. with a lot of movement and colour and quickly, quickly look, <laughs> yes. look over here, look over here. So I'm going to attempt to 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 sort of give a plot summation uh, before oh I go into the challenge and my great job. My great Good job. luck. Um, are you so, sitting down? Yeah. How's your blood pressure? I'm in a moon boot, so I'm just hoping I don't get, <laughs> hoping I don't get deep vein thrombosis while I'm while I'm sitting in my moon boot. So the doctor and Yaz and Dan 
find our, a train, a supersonic high-speed space train that's carrying a child who's also an energy beam and it's under attack by, under attack by Cybermen and then they follow it to a metal planet outside Earth and also the Master is in 1916 and he's Rasputin, but is he actually Rasputin or just sort of having taken the personality of Rasputin because <laughs> both seem to exist in the world? Meanwhile, in 2022, uh, Tegan and Ace have realize that paintings are going missing and earthquake guys no seismologists seismologists yes and they realize something's up and they go to unit and they say hey something's up and they get employed by unit and then the doctor is on the planet outside of earth which is a metal planet that's going to be used for something and um then the and then the the doc no the master is going to regenerate himself into the doctor, and I do want to talk about that. And then, so then he does that. And then he's now the doctor in all of the doctor's clothes that he ever wore or she. <laughs> and then he has adventures with Yaz, but kind of not really. And then Ace goes into a, into a, wait, Ace jumps off the building. Tegan goes back into the building. Ace goes into a volcano to stop the Daleks because they're also there. I forgot to mention the Daleks. <laughs> This sounds frighteningly like you're having like a psychotic break. (laughs) No, no, let me finish. I've got it. So Ace is in the volcano in Bolivia and then then the the doctor is able to re... No, the doctor has meetings with himself (laughs) and herself in her mind and then... And then... (laughs) Oh, no. I think I'm getting deep vein thrombosis. (laughs) Brain, um, and so they're able to bring the doctor back, but then they have to still go and stop, um, save the planet from being converted into a cyber factory. But also, the Daleks are still hanging around for some reason. I don't know why they were both kind of work together. And then, and then the doctor, and then the master kills the doctor because if he can't be the doctor, no one can. In like a weird sort of obsessive relationship kind of trope. Uh, and then the doctor dies. To my minute challenge. Uh... <laughs> you, you missed the part where all of the Earth's volcanoes have now been turned into like steel, um, which I sure I'm sure won't have any long term impact on the the planet's ecology or uh, seismology. Guys, no. I think joke. I described um, <laughs> the uh, the timeless child, timeless children, as like a mad fan ranting his dreadful fan fiction in your face for an hour. <laughs> Uh, this is the same, only the fan is six years old. Uh, can I just say, I know we joked about you, me having a mental breakdown, but my brain actually hurts. Like, I actually feel like my eyesight is going. That was really difficult to do. But I just let me just start my minute challenge so I can do my good joke and then we can all, okay. we can all, we can all move on. We can all realise that I, I got one thing out of this episode. Okay, here we go. It's my minute challenge, right? It's a pretty amazing episode because... Right near the end, we get the return of a beloved character, someone who's been well-loved in Doctor Who mythos, someone who many would say has held the franchise up as, you know, peak peak character, you know, wonderful audience favourite. That's right. Graham is back. <laughs> Bradley Walsh came back. <laughs> Just randomly in a volcano. Graham was there. It's so weird how, like, he showed up and I'm like, oh, Graham's here. Like, 
the only character who got decent characterization throughout all this uh, all this era. But Ryan, and I was waiting for some explanation to be given as to how he got there and what he was doing there, because I apparently have learned nothing from three seasons of <laughs> Chris Chibnall. Uh, and then it got to the end and no explanation was forthcoming. And then for a second, I was sort of disappointed and felt betrayed. And was like, oh, of course. Why would I? Why would I be so stupid? Why, why would you? Yeah. It's, just, you it's, know, re- it's really our fault at this point. <laughs> yes. Come we encouraged on. him. We enabled him. <laughs> I, I, I blame myself as much as anyone else. Come on, Tom. We all, like, a dog is going to lick its own balls. Like, you just know. <laughs> If, if there if there was ever a more apt description of the Doctor Who fandom at large. <laughs> anyway, I'll just go. Yeah, so Graham is back, but obviously David Tennant. So this is what happened. I obviously knew that that David Tennant was coming back for the next thingy and Russell T Davies and whatnot. And there's been shots of him filming. Yeah, he's definitely back. Cool. And I had a suspicion that he would pro- like she would probably regenerate into him because that's something different. And I've been saying for years that the doctor should regenerate into a previous doctor and have a few more adventures because that would be really interesting. And I've always just said it should be Paul McGann because a he didn't get a series, he only got one movie and a few short episodes or whatever. And B, he's crumpet, and we need to see more. <laughs> Still, he looks amazing in this. By the way, this is what I'm saying. The man is a vampire. He does. He is a time lord, and he should have more <laughs> time lord adventures featuring me. It's almost it's almost cruel to put him up against like you know Sylvester McCoy and the rest. Like you know they're, they're <laughs> sitting there, and then Paul McGann shows up. It's like oh boys, like come on. <laughs> no, he's he's definitely the crumpet of that episode. So I I've been saying that for years. But okay, David Tennant, fan favorite. He loves the show as well, so he would come back. Maybe Paul McGann's like I've got standards. I don't know, but he did this, so he doesn't. So I was starting to get sent some people going, oh, I've been spoiled, and oh, and I was like, oh, okay, I think it's going to be David Tennant in the regeneration, and also because I think they they showed sometimes in the past they they used to have photos that would come out of. Like I'm sure when David Tennant regenerated into Matt Smith, they were both there on the same day. Like they kind of had this handover shooting day. Am I wrong mm. in that? You know, they did. No, they I did. think that is right. I don't think Jodie was on set with Peter Capaldi. Oh, I think no, they no, did those on different days. Yeah, apparently they had to come. There was like an extra day of filming for her. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. So then, so then this was clearly like we we can't. Da- Russell T Davies is going to work out who the next Doctor is, so we just have to have Jodie like die or her doctor regenerate and then we'll fill in the gaps later so then i thought well what's how's he going to come back and i said he's just going to say what 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 like he did <laughs> sure, yeah. when Catherine tate uh came back i think but he said it on other occasions but that's the one that i remember yeah and then he said it he said i remember the teeth and that's what he said when he first regenerated yes, yeah. he got new teeth and so i thought that was really sweet and then they have the cheekiest credit line i've ever seen which is introducing <laughs> david Tennant <laughs> as the doctor <laughs> That was good. That was that was almost worth the price of admission for that gag. You can, uh, you can feel Russell T Davies sort of taking over the the show as he as, <laughs> as, as that happens. And I have to say, I, I, as last words go, I did quite like tag your it. Oh, it's great. That was yeah, good. I, I love it. That was really nice, and I think that was a nice way because I was I was a bit worried with all of the forced regenerations and stuff that they were going to not let her have her moment at the end that they were just going to be, it would come back and be a different person. I didn't think that for very long because, of course, it's a Doctor Finale episode. They always get their moment. But, yeah, I thought that was a good send-off. Um, so in my list I wrote, uh, Graham is back, last Jody. Gosh, a lot happens and I can't remember the beginning. Um, <laughs> but then I did remember and it's the weird train sequence with Cybermen. I wrote there's an energy child on a metal planet. 
I, I, I didn't quite understand. It was Which a, sounds like you've eaten bad cheese and had a weird dream. <laughs> it was a, was it a quarrants or a corrents or I didn't quite get the word that they used. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Battle of Ranskor Av Kolos. It, it's nonsense words oh, exposed God. as such. Okay. That are hard um, to say and remember. Yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so Tegan and Ace, again, I don't know them super well. It was quite disconcerting to hear Tegan's accent because oh, really? it's, it's very Australian. So it's, it's Well, it's so strange because, like, you know, obviously she's from Brisbane. Um, she's from Brisbane, hometown both, girl. Both the, both the character and the actress is, is from Brisbane. Um, so, yeah. you know, hometown girl, but obviously has, has lived in, in England for many years, so she's got that expat sort of sway to her voice uh, yes. so it's very strange <laughs> not as bogan as you or i stand no 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 indeed. Um, <laughs> uh, it's weird but you see contemporary joke. interviews with her when she was just doing the part of the 80s and she's on children's television programs talking about playing the part uh, she sounds very rp uh, and she sounds almost kind of quite quite timid uh, mm. but then in the program yeah she's she's giving it all of this and even Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing in your bloody TARDIS? And so they seemed, I, I don't know whether they're not maybe, I, I don't know whether you would say that they're not bad. They seemed out of time, weird, weird expression I know to use, but they kind of seem oddly uh, maybe a bit wooden. I don't know if that's fair though because maybe that's just them. And I, uh, but like compared to Kate Lethbridge-Stewart who they were acting against and maybe because I've seen her more in more episodes so I'm used to her, but they, they did kind of seem like the odd ones out just acting wise. It might, also, it might also be the the lines they they were given to say, like you know, like some of the some of the stuff is is very stilted. Yeah, and you very stilted or very stilton, Stu. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, see, that was a cheese joke. Keep, that, keep the bad cheese theme going. Yeah, just referencing the cheese thing. That's a second good. I've done two good jokes now. Um, <laughs> uh, just confirming that my first joke was a good joke. Um, <laughs> joke. Okay, question here about the unit building. They have a brand new building which. Uh, Kate has to destroy immediately. Can you just destroy a building and run out onto the footpath in front of it and be fine? Well, the the big question. I mean, no. The answer is no, Natalie. It would be it, it would be a nine eleven situation. That's um, what I but, mean. It's a huge building, and it just yeah. fell down in on itself. And the <laughs> point I have for that kind of action is like a twin towers falling, just dust clouds going everywhere, and they kind of just jog out and go whoo. That was lucky. <laughs> we got out of there. But but my, my big question was, uh, and, and maybe I missed it in all the Sturm and Drang, but like what happened to all the unit people? Oh, who hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sturm and Drang, Stu, it's fancy. Uh, okay. <laughs> we're going to lampshade that. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, I, but, just, Stu's gotten all fancy all of a sudden. This is the Sturm and Drang. I'm bringing my, high, my highfalutin ways to this <laughs> Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> highfalutin uh, literary uh, wordsmithing to my, uh, you know, I'm Australian. <laughs> it's it's my cultural cringe kicking in. I need to make myself sound more intelligent. That's right. Um, Tom's but- quickly sounds more British. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like, wasn't one of the goals of of Kate Lethbridge Stewart and everyone like to save a lot of unit people? Like, did they get out? Did I miss that? I, I'm I'm it's happy more to- weird than that. She makes this bargain. With the Cybermen, I'll give you my life in exchange for the lives of my troops. Oh, does right. as far as okay. I can tell, nothing to secure the lives of her troops, and then yes. just goes. And now I'll turn the force field off so you can convert me. Right. Yeah. And so, and so, we're to believe that like the Cybermen 
kept their word and let everyone else go. They're very honourable. Very honorable. <laughs> no, notably honourable murderous species. Yes. Yeah, uh, no, it makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah, okay, Ma- makes as much sense as anything else. Sure, I'll go with it. You'd make a cut scene of like uh, her looking over at a video screen of a security camera of people leaving the building or something like that. Just some, yeah, you know, it wouldn't take a lot to go. Oh, yep, they're leaving. Okay, the, the, the that, that's the thing. Like, like this this era of the show in general and this episode in particular, like, just doesn't have any of that connective tissue. Like, because there's no time. There's no time. It, it's been. It's there's so much packed in that there's no room. There's no room for that shot. It, it's mm. largely superfluous. We're like, okay, I guess they all left. <laughs> like, great. <laughs> We guess they're all fine. Yeah. yeah. No one needs to, to give an order or communicate no. that intention or yeah. do anything yeah. to make it happen. I've yeah. said it, so now it's reality. Yes, that's it. It's, it's been said on screen, and so now it's canon. The other, <laughs> thing that I, the other thing that I noted that I thought was, you know, kind of charming, and I know, it's, I know that characters have plot armour. I get it. But it was quite funny the way that Tegan and Ace like start running around to run away from the Cybermen after the little after the little Russian doll Cybermen became really big and then opened mm. up and all the uh, so that's fine. I mean that's fun enough. Doctor Who it's kind of va- vaguely clever. I didn't mind it. It's fine. Yeah, it was fun enough. But then Tegan and Sarah they like start shooting and they they're in their sixties. They're not. Necess- I'm not saying they're unfit and can't run, but they were slower and. <laughs> and- Every Cyberman bullet shot, whatever, bing, bing, pow, pew, 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 just missed them. Um, meanwhile, then a Shad, and for some reason he's there. I don't know why, but because he can talk, I guess. Uh, he, he, the, the Cybermen can talk. They, they can absolutely talk. There could have been like a cyber leader who can talk. Well, I guess it's, again, just giving that actor a bit of work. Sure. Maybe because of COVID, they just wanted to give some people a bit of work. They're just bringing people back. Yeah, exactly. Um, but... Uh, so anyway, he goes upstairs to start going for Kate Lethbridge-Stewart or whatever. I don't know exactly what he was doing. Um, but he just shoots and kills everybody. Everybody. Just pan, out, bang, down, boom, boom. Meanwhile, these two women in their 60s are like, don't worry, we, we're capable of outrunning cyber bullets. It's fine. <laughs> the, the contrast was too stark, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, like it just, yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of gingerly running across you know, yeah. d- doing a, 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 a few vague ducks and, like, the, the, the CGI <laughs> people have had to, like, CGI in, like, little bullets whizzing past their heads and stuff. It's just, yeah. I have written here that one thing that I did like, and I, I'm interested to pick whether, I'm really trying to think whether you guys would have liked this or not because I loved it, but I appreciate I love a cheesy moment. <laughs> and that was the Ra Ra Rasputin song and the master dancing I laughed and I love that bit. I, I, I appreciate that it maybe it was silly and out of, didn't make sense, but I just loved it. And maybe it was just because it just stopped the plot in its tracks, all this sure. plot, and I could just sit with Sasha Dewan in the full Rasputin gear, just going, rah, rah, Rasputin. And I love that. I happen to love that song. Look, I want to know, am I silly for liking it? Is it okay? Look. I, I mean, for my part, it sounds like I'm hedging my bets, but I like I I laughed with delight when it started up, and then I hated myself for laughing. <laughs> like I was like I was like, oh god, it got me. Mm, that's bad because it's just a call. It's just a callback to the last of the time lords. Like it's it's a callback to that scene with the master that happened already. So there's there's, there's nothing new to it. Like it's yeah. funny. It's funny. It's a funny bit. Yeah, um, but I liked but, it the first time around. Yeah, exactly. It was funny yeah. the first time around, and, and it wasn't that funny the first time around, to be honest. <laughs> This one was much funnier. That that was the voodoo dolls. Here come the drums. Yeah. Here come the drums. No, 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 um, no, no. The one. Where, oh, he does the I come the. Uh, but there's also 
the one where he sort of dances around when he, where he's basically one and he's like he's playing um the Arct- not the Arctic Monkeys um it's I, he's playing like I, I can't decide whether you should live or die yeah um, oh okay you know, and he's, he's sort of dancing around in his moment of triumph I like that the master's got a kick for big musical numbers I don't you know <laughs> he's, he's very theatrical. It's a nice gag when the Daleks and Cybermen turn to look at each other. Yes, but that, that's, does, that was a good moment, yeah. That does rather yeah. pose the question, what are the Daleks and Cybermen doing there other than standing <laughs> around and watching this happen? Yes. yes. It is very bizarre that somehow he's able to get the Cybermen and the Daleks in on a partnership deal to destroy the Doctor enough so they're willing to just sit there and let him have his little showbiz moment and not be like, okay, let's hurry up and kill the Doctor, please. The whole point of the Cybermen and the Daleks, isn't it, is to purge them of any actual emotion. story and emotion. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe that's why. Maybe they have no emotion, so they're like, oh, this must be some sort of ritual. <laughs> but it didn't also, these, these aren't any Cybermen. These are the Gallifrey Cybermen that we saw yes. in the, the Timeless Children. And you might remember uh, quite a lot of people were quite upset that uh, that nice old man <laughs> yes. prevents the doctor from having to give her life in order to make sure these side men don't escape, and so takes the the bomb, uh, which, like most bombs that you can get, uh, can only be detonated by you pushing a button while you're standing holding it. Yes, uh, that, that is <laughs> the way most design. most munitions are designed to work. And so he he blows himself up taking the side men with him, but at least he didn't die in vain because oh shit. Yes. <laughs> the master and the cyber and the cyber masters all are all fine. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, the other thing I wanted to note is that to me it brings up an interesting space time dilemma. Is the episode positing that Rasputin was the master all along? Because oh god, have you found a plot hole in this? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, stick with me. <laughs> what, you're, what you're about to do, Natalie, is give way, give more thought to this question than the showrunner who wrote it did. But I'm intrigued because this, he's dancing with, to believe he, he presses play on the music and he seems to be playing the song. It's not just him thinking the song in his head. He seems to be playing the song Ra Ra Rasputin. Oh, yeah, it's diegetic music, absolutely. So he, oh, Sturm and Drang. <laughs> come, come on. Drang, diegetic music. Stu has been down the Wikipedia rabbit holes of fancy terms. For God's sake. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting trolled for knowing filmmaking no, terms now. No, 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 no. I'm doing, I'm doing that thing that you shouldn't do. <laughs> I'm being very jerky about it. I just, I'm just sometimes smart Stu comes out. Uh, sorry, I should, extra smart Stu, I should say. <laughs> Um, I can I can consolidate the two halves of my personality into smart stew. No, you don't. You juxtapose them. That's what you. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> so I appreciate he can travel in time and space. So maybe he's been to 1970, whatever, and got an original LP of Boney M's Rara Rasputin, and taken it back and put it on a gramophone in 1916, and is able to boost it out. But are they – because he starts off in Siberia. Why did he have to start in Siberia? Why couldn't he just be, be in his 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 beautifully appointed room in the palace? Why did he need to be in Siberia? Wait, I, wait, 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 wait. So hang on, hang on. Your, your big problem with the with that sequence of events is how did he get the recording of Boney M's Rasputin to play? No, it's not. No, that's not where I draw the line. It's I, I, What I'm saying is <laughs> I can appreciate he's a time traveller, okay? I can appreciate he moves through time so he could go – to and have that he could have been in 1975 know that there's a song called Rasputin but has he created the character of Rasputin Mm. so Rasputin was always the master 
And so when we think of Rasputin in history, it is always actually it was the master all along. Or has he somehow bumped off Rasputin and claimed his mantle and has then gone in and said, oh, I know I'm Rasputin. My take, my take is because of the paintings and, and the fact that Kate identifies the person in the paintings as Rasputin, we're, to, we're led to believe that the master has fully replaced Rasputin in history. Yeah. So he has, he has lived basically Rasputin's life. So he's gone back in time and got, but then how would he know to be Rasputin if Rasputin hadn't existed? Well, I mean, that's... How would he, how would the master have gone, you know who I need to be right now? You know who, what's going to help me is to be Rasputin. At, so, at, the, at the risk of being trolled again, that's the bootstrap paradox, which the show has referenced uh, previously. Has it? Bootstrap. Why do I know yeah, that? If you, yeah, if you, um, if you ki- go back in time and um, kidnap Shakespeare, but then you just get him to copy out all of Shakespeare's plays to make sure that the timeline isn't disrupted, who wrote Shakespeare's plays? Well, now I'm confused. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the brain for space-time physics. But also, no, nothing about him being Rasputin actually makes sense or, or impacts the plot anyway. That's a sort no. of filigree decoration on the top. But what, what is... Much, it was very much, hey, wouldn't it be cool that the master... Yeah, what's much uh, more frustrating is that on a, on a basic like cause and effect level, none of the plot makes any sense. And on a basic, <laughs> uh, who are these people and how are they feeling, it doesn't mean anything. Yes, so, so the, he, the, 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 the crux of the story is that the master's going to force the doctor to regenerate into him. And that is an English sentence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this brings me to I don't my know point. if it actually communicates anything meaningful. And again, one of, the, one of the problems a lot of people, including me, had with The Timeless Children was a lot of it was the master makes the doctor watch his PowerPoint presentation of Ultimate Evil. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but here, his plan seems to be the PR campaign of Ultimate Doom, mm. because he oh, is going goes, to walk nowhere. around pretending to be the Doctor and make everybody hate the Doctor. And he goes on and on about that, but doesn't actually do it. No. But if that's his plan, why can't he just do that anyway? Because he still looks like Sasha Dewan, only sure. now in silly clothes. That's my. That's my. That's my next point, which is. If you were trying to regenerate into the Doctor, surely the point is to kind of regenerate to get the Doctor's power, intelligence, life experience, knowledge, well, inbuilt, whatever. I thought it was going to be like a body swap thing. I thought we were going to see yeah. Jodie Whittaker playing the Master and Sasha yes. Dewan playing the Doctor. And the one thing this episode did make me think, because I've sort of blown hot and cold on Sasha Dewan, when he turned up initially as the Master, I thought, oh, this is amazing, that the script is sort of taking us back to the John Sim Master and kind of ignoring a lot of the stuff that went on with Capaldi, but, but as a performance, that's fantastic. And then the more I saw of it, the less I liked it. And last time out, I just thought, yeah, I, I've seen all these tricks now. I have to say, with no more help from the script, I thought he did a fantastic job here. Yes. And I think the real missed trick for me is why couldn't we have had him as the doctor? Because yes. that would have been sensational. He's such a good actor. Yeah, he really, really is. But as you say, they could have had that body swap thing. But then, you know, is that something that should have been in an earlier episode? To you know, is it too late in the Doctor's cycle of life? To then oh, that's go? such a that's such a good idea. I'm actually actively really angry that they didn't do that now. Because the thing is, is that if 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 the Master wanted to have all the powers of a Time Lord and badmouth the Doctor, he could just stay himself and badmouth the Doctor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like there was no the, like his body as Rasputin kind of just fell into the cabinet that it was in and just stayed there when they swapped back he came alive again in that body so where the doctors was just 
because he was killing the doctor, but then he was able to go into the doctor. And mm. then, so yeah, I, that, that whole thing was just like, okay, so he was Rasputin, but maybe not, but then he wanted to be the doctor, but also could have just done it as himself. He could have just gone, hey, I'm the doctor. Yeah. People are used to the doctor. And, and it's irrelevant because he doesn't do any of the things he says. No, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't make one a difference. Moment, there's one moment where like a, a news drone shows up in space, and I'm not sure oh. where that was supposed to be com- coming from and where, who it was supposed to be broadcasting to, but he then sort of says down the barrel of that camera, I'm the doctor and I did this. Yes. And then and then he sits on a planet marooned, marooned for a, a while and... Plays the recorder. And plays the recorder, sadly. And it's like, what is this? Like, what what, <laughs> what was this going to be? Like, it, it just it boggles my mind. And, and now that you've said that, like, that would have made so much more sense for... And would have been so much fun in, in this episode for, for, for Jodie and, and Sasha to, to sort of quickly switch and you guys have, watching, a, have, a, have a crack. Are you guys watching Strange New Worlds? Yes. Uh, the uh, Spock Mock episode I thought was amazing. fantastic. Amazing. Uh, are you watching this, Nat? Oh, I, I have not watched Stranger New So there's an episode where a, a mind meld goes wrong and uh, Spock and his girlfriend to bring uh, switch bodies or switch minds uh, and they don't keep up the pretense as far as Pike is concerned anyway for very long. One of them just comes out and says it, uh, something's gone wrong and we've, we've switched minds. And she says something like, um, uh, now we've told you that, uh, I'm sure you'll be able to tell instantly because of our idiosyncratic manner of behaviour. <laughs> and of course they're, and both, they're both just speaking so, so stiffly and emotionlessly. Yeah, it's incredibly right. funny. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's so well done. That whole series is, is a miracle of, of how well out of the gate it just works. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I know that uh, on the group chat, Dan and Greg and Stu have all had all really liked that when that was out, what, mid-year, June, July? Yeah, about that. Something like that, yeah. And would have excited discussions that I would not understand. But I was was happy for them, do you know? Like I was happy to watch people enjoying the thing that they like, you know, and just being so, seeing grown men be so excited that a cultural property that they love was treated adequately and with respect. (laughs) <laughs> beautiful thing to watch. It's a really beautiful thing to watch. Uh, Doesn't happen very often this, these days. All this uh, curmudgeonly behaviour you're getting on this podcast. Yes. No, but the thing, is, the thing is, curmudgeonly makes for a better podcast. Like, in all honesty, <laughs> yes. um, you know, it is fun to, I mean, I love House of the Dragon, but there's lots of fun things that we can kind of go, why did this happen? And what, what about this crazy thing that happened? But if you're just watching something that's, like, just really good, You'd be like, well, this was excellent. Yeah, it was excellent, wasn't it? Yes, and I thought this was a very good use of character and plot development. It was. It really was. And I thought this was excellent timing and the comedic payoff was, was you know, worked very well. I, I agree. You want to have stuff that's got some weirdness in it. It makes for better entertainment in the podcast. Um, so I'm almost at the end of my list. Uh, first thing was what killed the Doctor? Like literally Sasha Dewan did the if I can't have you, no one will, and then pressed a button. It aimed the energy child towards but the doctor had already told the energy child to self-destruct itself so i wasn't quite sure well, it, it was in the middle of it was in the middle of destroying the planet um the the master has like a device that's sort of like sonic screwdrivery it's sort of a multi-tool sort of thing and i guess he kind of redirected the beam yeah okay like, sure that, all right that's fine the, the the big thing for me in that was i i assumed when I, when the the whole switcheroo with the master and the doctor happened, that I thought that was going to be the instigate. Like I thought, so she's been forced to regenerate, 
and then she sort of snaps back. But that regeneration has already sort of been instigated. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, I was like, surely, so so this will now be that's a doomed doctor. Yes. You know, I was like, so so that's going to be the great tragedy. She's going to save the day, but because of what's happened, yes, she's not going to get the happy ending that she wants. She's going to have to regenerate one way or another. Yes, no one. But instead, can, no, they have no, this no, weird no. moment of spite, and it's like, yeah. I just don't, you don't need it. You, it's just a hat on a hat. Like you can't. Yeah, it wasn't needed because you could go. She's back to finish up what she and needed, it's, and it's still the master's fault. Like the master did yeah, it, he, master and he did could, he could have that same moment where he's like, ah, but doctor, you've already started your regeneration. You know, yeah, like, yeah exactly. It it did not need to be another thing. It could have just been yeah. like like Christopher Eccleston was. I'm doing it now. Like I'm I'm. I'm dealing with my death. I've been killed. I'm dealing with it. I'm doing it now. Yeah. And that's what she could have said to Yaz, like, oh, it's happening. Oh no, I'm I'm I want more time, but it's I'm saving myself, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I just didn't think that was necessary. I did think like go Yaz, like obviously been hitting the gym in the TARDIS to lift the doctor up. I mean, I know <laughs> I know she's probably not very heavy, but Yaz is not a very big woman either. And she just totally firemans are out of there. Well, not firemen, like full bodyguard, Kevin Costner style. And I will always love him. That, that's the needle drop we needed. Yes, <laughs> we did need that. By Jody, David Tennant, I've mentioned David Tennant. That was good fun. Um, and then just with the support group, I had something I wanted to say about the support group. Oh, isn't it sort of re- relatively well known in the universe of the Doctor that the Doctor exists and people have seen the Doctor? That's, that's very unclear. Like sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Yeah, because so, certainly on Earth, it, it's 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 more like secret. Because because there's been times I know that they do the old wipe the memory of the Earth or spin back time or so the doc and Matt Smith deleted his presence known through the universe at one point. So I get it, but it did seem like this small support group of of supporters, like oh, if I told people I'd been rescued and there'd been aliens, and people are like oh, don't we remember when aliens hit the since Stevens Tower and Big Ben. Uh, Don't we remember like a couple of months ago when apparently half the universe vanished <laughs> and never oh, got replaced? I have forgotten so much more about this incarnation of the Doctor. Chris Chibnall is hoping you've forgotten about that, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was my that was my list. So um, I'll hand over to you, Stu, and Tom for further commentary. Right. Well, um, I, I, on the first item on my list was uh, too much, too much stuff. <laughs> uh, this is a 90 minute episode it feels like it's like three hours long somehow I don't know how I that happened that, I had that where I stopped and went god I must be near the end of this episode and it's I was like halfway, halfway through. through it's bizarre yeah, yeah. it was really um, weird the, the, the key for me I, I, I pinpointed a scene that sort of is emblematic of the whole thing I think which is um, there's a scene and it's it's actually not a bad scene where, where Tegan has to like uh, go down this elevator shaft just after she has this, that that touching sort of moment with the Doctor hologram of, of five, mm. and she has to she has to go down this elevator shaft, and the and the Cybermen realize she's in there, and they start crashing through, and they're grabbing at her and, and shooting at her and stuff, and it's really bad. And she she has to let go, and she plummets down into the shaft, and it's really thrilling, and it's it's a genuinely thrilling uh, moment. Like, oh, I wonder how she's going to get out of this. We cut away, and there's some some other stuff happens, and we cut back, and oh, she's fine. She's she's at the bottom. Um, it's just run out it's of fine. it's paper. fine because the, the plot has to happen like we're, we're done we're moving on um so so somehow she fell to the bottom of that shaft and was totally fine and she and she's going to do the thing that she needs to do for the plot reasons um have you ever seen a preview of a movie where they haven't finished all the effects shots yet uh, so every so often just a, uh, a caption comes up that says shot missing missing yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely um 
that that's it. That that and that's this this episode in a nutshell. Where there, there's there's moments that are genuinely thrilling and they work, and then they cut away and they're immediately undercut by what comes next. And there's just everything happening all at once. And it's just really, really, it, it's disappointing in that way. Where where the the episode keeps getting in its own way. Just stuff happens and happens and happens, and everything happens so much. So yeah, that that was the first item on my list. The next item on my list was every Doctor who wasn't in the fiftieth plus Tekken and Ace. Um, <laughs> So basically, so they 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 got they they basically got the all the doctors who participated in the in the five ish doctors special. So all the old all the old doctors plus some. Um, I was about to say Bradley Walsh, but um the the actor who plays the first doctor uh, came back as well, which was which was a nice touch. Yeah, David Bradley, yes, David yeah. Bradley, yeah, yeah, exactly. All the um, fray, boo. <laughs> yes. Actually, speaking of uh, just randomly, this wasn't on my list, but um, one of the train people uh, at the start was uh, Dickon from Game of Thrones, uh, who was also uh, previously in Doctor Who as uh, Jeff, the guy with the weird porn habits. Wait. (laughs) I don't know if you remember that from the 11th hour. Get a girlfriend. girlfriend. (laughs) Hang on, hang on. He was in this episode? Yes, he was one of the train uh, guards at the start. Oh well, that's he, he was he was like like the main one basically the main guy who gets shot and like but 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 he's okay and and I did not even notice that and I'm very disappointed on his I, I feel like he should be given a better part than that but maybe that was just I'll come no. back and have a, like yeah I, I I did wonder I I haven't checked I I wonder if like those train guards are all people who've been on the show before I wonder if that's the, if that's the gag or 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 if it just happens to be him I I, I just clocked him because he's got a very distinctive face I thought. Well, he Obviously does. not for you. <laughs> no, well, I mean, the, the thing is, is that he used to be on that show Merlin. He was Percival. Yes, and I, yeah. I interviewed him once. Um, do you remember, Stu, when when we were watching that episode of Game of Thrones where he yes. turned up with Dick on Tali and I had to tell you, it's like I, for some reason I was watching him through that whole episode going, why do I know this guy? Like have I met this guy? And I you know, he's on the telly. And then I remembered eventually I was like, oh, my God, he was because I looked him up and went, I interviewed him. Hmm. When he was out for Supernova about Merlin and um, stuff before, long before he was on Game of Thrones. So, yeah, anyway, so I'm sad that he only got a small part like that. And so did he die or no? No, I don't think he died. I think I think they, they got saved, didn't they? I can't remember. I it doesn't matter. It was at the beginning of the episode, Stu. That was just too. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 was, that was 90 minutes ago. It's fine. It was too long ago. Yeah. <laughs> the next item on my list was just Ra Ra Rasputin. I was going to talk about that, but we've already covered that in depth. The next item on my list was Mandip and Jody really brought it home. So I, I just wanted to talk about their scenes together uh, at the end of the episode because you're right, Tom, in, in the sense that the script is giving them nothing. The script is giving them the usual. Honestly, like, like I mean, let's let's be real. Like, like the script is giving them rote platitudes and. And, and awkwardness, like, like almost deliberately leaning into it. Like this is the episode that makes the Doctor's complete unwillingness to explain literally anything to to Yaz of all people, but to anyone, like like a character trait somehow. Yes. Like like somehow this is like something she's known for. Ha, 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 like, ha, no, it's just ha. it's just bad writing. It's terrible writing. Um, but they've made it like a feature now instead of a bug. But I just thought those final scenes between Mandib and Jody you just get the sense that they brought every single ounce of their very clear and real deep friendship to everything. And, you know, I've, I've, I've since watched like some of the making of documentaries that are, that are up on online. They all talk about like how much they, they, they love each other and how much all the actors involved and, and how much fun it was on set and, and how everyone pulled together, especially over COVID and all that sort of thing. Like it, it really brought them together as like a, a family. A and fan. you get that, a fan, you might say. 
and and you really get that sense. Like I think I think that both of them brought every single ounce of emotion to those scenes. Like like that that moment where Yaz sort of chokes back a little sob. Like it's it's devastating, and none of it's on the page. It's all in the performance that they saved it. They saved the episode. The two of them. There was a lovely moment when I think Jodie Whittaker, maybe they were in the volcano, and she says to Yaz, "Stay here." And Yaz, she walks off and you just see Yaz go, nope. And, <laughs> yeah. in. and that was a lovely moment. Like that was that lovely, like you tell me to stay, but I am coming with you. Like, I will not. Um, yes, I think well-spoken, Stu. That's a very nice tribute to Mandip Gill and Jodie Whittaker. They did, yeah. they did good. I think, they, I think they, they, they really salvaged the episode. And I think that the, the scenes between them and then the regeneration is why people were so positive about it because it really does sort of carry you off at the end of the episode, you know? The next item on my list was, uh, I, just, I just wrote down, uh, we're all stories in the end, just to sort of reference uh, that support group, um, but also remind me of a, a, a better series finale. But oh, that was uh, the end of series five, where the Doctor reminds Amy that uh, we're all stories in the end, just make it a good one, eh? Is that Capaldi? No, that was Matt Smith. No, that's Matt Smith, yeah. Uh. But I did want to mention, um, according to Chris Chibnall in interviews, there was a scenario where we would not have seen David Tennant show up at the end of this episode. We wouldn't have seen anyone show up at the end of this episode. This this might have been the last episode of Doctor Who for a while. You know, well, it like, will be. It'll be it'll be um, November now. Well, well it, I, I, I think the plan year. is so yeah three three specials in November is uh, I think the plan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but and, I think- and, and this this wrong footed me as well. In some ways. Jodie regenerating into David Tennant was the obvious thing to happen, given that we know there is going to be more David Tennant Doctor Who. But I strongly suspected that Russell T. Davis wants to do a kind of a reset, and that's why partly he's not just going from the 13th Doctor straight on to the 14th. So I sort of assumed there'd be some kind of ambiguous ending to this episode, Mm. following which the first of the specials would not carry on where this left off, opening the door maybe to the David Tennant material being a previously unseen 10th Doctor adventure. And none of that mm. seems to be the case at all. In fact, what Russell T. Davis says in the official press release is that we should call this Doctor the 14th yes. and Shooty Gatwa's Doctor the 15th, which just that, seems that to me to like be unnecessarily like, confusing. I know, I was about to say, that that feels like it has to be a misdirect, right? Like, like it just it just feels weird. It feels weird to be like, David Tennant is the 14th Doctor. That that doesn't make sense to my brain. <laughs> I mean, the, the story is that the Jodie Whittaker Doctor has regenerated into the David Tennant Doctor. Sure. What that means and where it goes remains to be seen. Yeah, absolutely. I, it just uh, You can see the, the version of this episode that ends with the Doctor regenerating while her companions tell stories of their time with the Doctor, which feels like a very poetic ending for a show that, in that scenario, might not be coming back for a while. Like, like it might be going into another hiatus period because apparently that was on the cards. Like there was there was suggestions before Russell T Davies sort of agreed to take over that they they were like, look, do we just rest it for a while? There was no clear plan to go forward, and then RTD sort of stepped in and said, well, look, I'll have another crack at it if you want. So there's there's a version of this where we don't see who she regenerates into, and we just get a series of people you know, telling stories about the Doctor, which feels like, again, it feels like it, it would have been the most satisfying way to do that. But geez, that would have been weird. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm glad we got what we did. <laughs> it did happen once. At the end of the War Games, Patrick Troughton's yeah. Doctor is uh, sent off by the Time Lords. Uh, we're told he's going to be exiled to Earth and his appearance will change. But we just see Troughton spitting off into the void because at that point, John Pertwee hadn't been cast. 
Mm. Ah. <laughs> it's, but the show did the come back on its, on its usual schedule. It came back the following year. In colour. In colour, in glorious technicolour. The next time on my list was, uh, I just wrote down Tag You're It, which I think is, like as I, as I said at the top, I, I think that it might be my favourite regeneration. I, I never liked I Don't Want to Go, you know, and, and, and 11, 11 and 12 were both, you know, they, they just did this, these big bombastic speeches and I, I, I liked 12 more than 11s, but Tag You're It feels pretty great. That, that's a pretty great positive sort of message to, to send things forward, you know. Like, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's the end of my time, but hey, now, now, now it's your turn. Let's see what you got. <laughs> I love it. Christopher Eccleson's You Were Fantastic or So Was I is, is a good one. No, that's, that's not too bad. Yeah. That, that, that's a pretty good one. I don't mind what? that one. So Was I. You know what? So Was I. And then uh, just, just the last thing I wrote down was what? 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 Uh, because, of course, <laughs> of course, new teeth. Or the old teeth. I know there's teeth. Yeah. I yeah. know there's teeth anywhere. And that was my list. Oh, a general conversation and chit-chat then. Tom, <laughs> you've heard from uh, Stu and I a lot. Let's let's hear the uh, expert uh, Doctor Who person. With my, with my expert hat on, shall I point out a couple of in-jokes you might have missed? Please, Please do. Uh, Stu almost certainly got this one, Nat. I would be surprised if you did. Uh, the master describes whatever the hell it is he's doing as uh, the master Dalek plan. Yes. <laughs> uh, this is a reference to the 12-part epic uh, yes. that uh, apparently was sort of the production team's gift to the then Director General of the BBC, whose mother liked Daleks, uh, the, the Daleks master plan. Uh, which took up uh, yeah, a whole 12 weeks of the third season way back when William Hartnell was the Doctor and killed off two companions. There was also, um, there was also a, fun, a fun line where um, uh, Sasha Dewan is like taunting Tegan and Ace and she, she fire, Ace fires back at him. The last time I saw you, you were a cat. You know, and <laughs> yes. he's like, a man's allowed to experiment. Yes. <laughs> I did not get that. I mean, I assumed that at some point there was a cat involved, but I didn't, yeah, yep. I didn't get the reference. <laughs> and then uh, the other thing which stuck out to me was kind of, I think, a, a bit of a um, uh, screw you from Chris Chibnall to some of his critics. Uh, <laughs> Jodie Whittaker says at one point, uh, now it really is crowded in here, just how I like it. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, the crowded TARDIS is something I think that was a criticism first levied at John Nathan Turner who mm. at the beginning of Peter Davison's tenure as the Doctor had three companions in the TARDIS uh, and that was never repeated it was it was whittled down to two and then for Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy one and then for most of the modern era it's been either one or two uh, but uh, one of his pitches Christian wanted to get back to was the crowded TARDIS but uh, as I've said Ad infinitum, what it tends to mean is three people standing around commenting from the sidelines uh, yes. while, if you're lucky, the Doctor does, does something heroic. Um, I noticed too that the when they're all standing around operate, the, the whole vibe reminded me of the episodes with David Tennant. Was it, is it the Time Crisis one or the one where he has everyone helping? Uh, the, yeah, Journey's End. Yeah, absolutely. And the end of Series yeah. 4. They're all flying the TARDIS together. and it was there, all- there were a few things in this episode that reminded me of past episodes. Mm. Yes. Quite a few. <laughs> could it, could it, it might have been delivered on the greatest part. You never know. Even those two boxes, that's basically um, uh, the end of time, isn't it? Oh, it is. Boxes? I mean, yeah. The uh, oh. He'll knock three times. David Tennant's doctor regenerates because yeah. uh, he has to sacrifice himself in order to let Bernard Cribbins um, out, of, uh, out of his box. These are all deaths, regenerations that, that mean something. But uh, when you were talking about the master doing the thing with the thing on the, on the, the <laughs> moon planet with the thing, it, it is, it is it's just 
utterly meaningless. And I suppose I shouldn't be surprised because this is the same guy who killed off Kevin McNally because, oh, but whoops, Butterfingers. <laughs> Who's Kevin McNally? And what? I missed that. Professor the, the, Jericho. Professor Jericho. Oh, right. Yes. Professor Jericho. You have the suddenly appearing beard, as we found out. Oh, and let me ask you guys this as well. What happens when Joe Martin turns up in front of those two boxes and uh, the Cybermen all die? Because I think I I may have got this wrong, but it's not very clear. She is one of the holograms, and I think they kill each other. Is that the idea? Like, they're trying to shoot her and they shoot themselves? It really looked to me as if their lasers were bouncing off her. And they were being caught with the ricochets, but presumably meant to be passing through. Yeah, the intent was passing through, but uh, it does not look like that at all. The the thing you'd hope, as you were saying, with the the you know the the strong playing of Mandip Gill and Jodie Whittaker, if the script is is letting you down, then you can hope that the cast will carry the day. (laughs) If the script if the script is letting you down, you can hope that at least the direction and the visual effects are going to tell the story. And it's, again, it's certainly loud and colourful, but if it isn't even <laughs> clear, that's what's happening. And it is the same thing that happened at the end of Flux, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> a hologram of the Doctor starts talking to people. Isn't there a thing in the Flux where they, they the ships all destroy each other? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why yeah, is Joe Martin there? Because I can understand, because the Doctor shocks Tegan, Ace and Yaz, and she puts the chip in them that will allow them to see her hologram. And then it's explained that it's responding to their emotional memory and so they are seeing the doctor that they know best. Okay, cool. So why is Joe Martin there? Like it, the logic doesn't follow. There is a line about that, uh, using an unfamiliar incarnation to fox them. Oh, I see. Okay, all right. They're like, who? yeah, that's right. And they're like, who are you? And she's like, I'm the doctor, mate. Who are you? Okay, that makes sense. All right, pass, 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 pass. I mean, it's just great to see Joe Martin. She's wonderful. I was, I was going to say, like, poor, poor Joe Martin, who who has been like like is is absolutely a canonical incarnation of the Doctor, and has had very little to do. But <laughs> also, flip side, Stu, how lucky she is to kind of come out of this era with everyone going, "Gee, it'd be cool to have more of her." Like, if if you know, That's if true. You had to choose, even wanting more, I guess. Yeah, if you had to choose, you'd be like, "Oh, what great potential there was for her down the track." I don't know. Maybe Russell T Davies will will pull something back from that if he, you know, doesn't decide to completely throw it in a steel bin and set a torch into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if do you both think that maybe Sasha Dewan's master will show up again, or do we think he's done? Like, do we think RTD would ever bring him specifically back, or do we think that version of the master is done now? No, I can you. see the possibility. I can, I can definitely see. Hmm. Russell wanting to draw a very hard line in thick black felt yes. pen between <laughs> that era and what he's going to do next. But also, mm. I think one of the things he could do would be to try and rehabilitate uh, some of these decisions. And as I say, I think although it was disappointing given how fascinating the character of Missy was, that the master snapped back like a rubber band to the John Sim version in terms of the writing, I can't fault, especially in this episode, Sasha Dewan's performance. 
Yeah, he's great. He's really good. And he has that campness that the master is kind of famous for, just that theatricality and, you know, in many ways travelling with the doc- with the master sounds like a bucket of fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a very good podcast called Flight Through Entirety and they've worked their way through uh, the whole of the classic series. And one of their little theories was that the real threat that the master poses is he'll be so funny and charismatic and interesting that he'll take the series away from the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and you can really see that with Sasha Dewan and Jodie Whittaker. Yes, well, yeah, that's right. But I mean, equally with Anthony Ainley and Peter Davison, I think Peter Davison's a phenomenal actor, but he doesn't quite have the same theatrical flair that Anthony Ainley brought to the no. master. <laughs> I realised there was something on my list that I forgot to actually read out because my eyes glazed over it, which makes <laughs> to this point. Vinda was there. Oh, yeah, and also Vinda's there. <laughs> Grey Worm from Game of Thrones, another Game of Thrones alumni represent. He was just there for reason. That one, that one especially, just felt. I mean, like, like that he at least physically did stuff, but I don't know why he was there and why what he did couldn't have been done by some other character. He was literally just there because they're bringing him back. Like they're bringing everyone back. I suspect in early drafts that might have been Captain Jack. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh. Not sure that would have made a huge difference, but uh, it might have made more sense of yeah. uh, who, who was being brought back and why. Oh, oh that, that that's very that's very clever, actually. Yes. <laughs> that, that's probably who it was. Um, the other thing I was going to mention that just occurred to me was, what do you guys make of the fact that at, at the start, when they captured the master, the doctor got unit to give her a yaz a gun? Hated it. Least favourite thing in the whole episode. Hated it, hated it, hated it. Make it stop. It was very strange because he says like, oh, but you hate guns. And she didn't really have an adequate reason no. why. And then Yaz is all like, I'm weapons trained. And I could kind of see a universe where Yaz grabbed a gun and said, I'm a cop, give me a gun. I don't trust him. And then there was a way of maybe playing with a the gun there. But again, it was like. You shouldn't play with guns, Natalie. Well, yeah. I, yeah. Unless they're, you know, on a. Dude, who's in it? Oh, it's just sounded pathetic, didn't it? <laughs> I yeah, this is uh, this yes. is Chibnall's Chibnall's gun. Uh, it's important to establish that uh, Yaz has a gun early in the episode because otherwise, no, forget it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Chibnall's gun is something you carefully set up at the beginning of the episode, only to never mention again. Incredible, incredible. <laughs> we've we've finally named the trope. It's incredible. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> If it seems important, it's not. And then finally, just one more thing that occurred to me. Well, not finally, but just finally for me. Dan just leaves. Yes, yes, I, I, I had that on my notes. Yeah, like just it's, it's obviously a symptom of the truncated flux season. Like, like I'm sure. I wonder if they would have had a, had a proper goodbye for him if they'd had space for it then, but they just didn't, and so they didn't. Like, like why didn't they? Why didn't they do this in Sea Devils? Have him like nearly get killed, and uh, there's just no time. Then this wouldn't be the, the episode with everybody in it. Yeah, well, that's true. Exactly. And he came back at the end, and it was implied that he was friends with Graham, and that also implied that Ace, like Graham and Ace, might get together. It was sort of implied that they're like both hot people in their sixties. Which is, it's so weird to me because, like, I still like I'm looking at Sophie Aldred as a, as a woman you know, in her sixties and I'm, I'm seeing her as like a teenage girl yes. um, because I, I, I'm used to her being like, you know, much younger. And so when she and Graham like were intimated to have like a bit of chemistry, I'm just like, no, 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 absolutely not. What are you doing? <laughs> Even though they are almost exactly the same age, like just something in my brain was like, absolutely not. What are you doing? <laughs> 
dirty old man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bradley Walsh is great. Like he's so he's so charismatic. He's such a wonderful screen presence. You kind of it was lovely to see him when he. I, I lit up when he when he showed up. He's his, great. With his psychic paper that he couldn't yeah. get hang on. <laughs> he couldn't work properly. That was really sweet. Like I yeah. No explanation as to how he got there, how he got inside a volcano. One of the things that drove me crazy about Flux was uh, people being pixeled from place to place as the plot required. Uh, it just drove me absolutely nuts. The plot goes out of its way to deliver somebody to a certain point uh, and then pixels them out of there because now they're in the wrong place for the next bit of the story to work. And huge cliffhangers like the end of Village of the Angels just turning out to be a taxi service to the next bit of plot. Uh, but we've actually gone past that point now. Now uh, people aren't pixeled away to another part of the story that they need to be in. They just are there. Yes. yes. Or in the case we're, of Dan, we're... not there. It yes. just... It's just incomprehensible to me <laughs> <laughs> that this got made. Or, as I said at the beginning, that people like it as much as they did. Uh, because you know, we, we've, not, we've not been starved of return appearances from old characters. We had it a lot in the 50th. Uh, we not only had those returning characters in that story, uh, but we had the five-ish Doctors. Uh, there's any number mm. of big Finnish audios and, and other things besides. Uh, we've had plenty of return appearances of... Daleks and Santarans and, and Captain Jack in, in earlier series. You know, th this is not new. It's not like it's 1973 and Patrick Troughton's in colour in the TARDIS. So we've never seen this before. We've seen all this before. Yeah. And to just, to, just to do it to the max, where basically everybody who's ever been in Doctor Who and still has a pulse is pushed <laughs> out in front of the camera. <laughs> That's not difficult to do. It only, it only requires the will to do it. But then having done it, nothing occurs that's of any particular interest this is a bit pointless really but just as you were talking before and as i was thinking about that companions anonymous uh, scene or whatever it's called that support group <laughs> and thinking about whether an, an even more insane version of chibnall would have put a character in there we'd never seen before it did occur to me that uh, one way of using that scenario to start quite a fun story would be to have ace and tegan and Joe Jones and all these people sitting around explaining who they were and introducing themselves and then have the camera pan around to a, a new arrival at the group and it's Sasha Dewan. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been fantastic. Smashing <laughs> titles. I, I saw someone make a joke on Twitter about uh, that, that group where they, they said um, that they were reminiscing about the Brigadier and, and how they, they said, oh, and, and he retired in 1979 to be a teacher. And then, uh, he's, and then Kate says, wait a minute, no, he didn't. And, and it, it made me, you know, which is a, a, fun, a fun joke, but also it made me think, like, can you imagine the cascading Mandela effect of all the broken timelines of all those people just <laughs> yes. all sitting together where their memory of history doesn't quite match up with everyone else's? <laughs> That's actually quite interesting. I love that idea. Yeah. Like they, they said they go, "Oh, do you remember this happened?" Like, I never. I, that never happened for me. Never saw that. Never oh, saw that. that. We the Beatles. Who? We erased time. Ian, Ian talks about seeing the Daleks uh, completely wipe out humanity in about a hundred years. So where was Ian from? He's the original. The very first Doctor Who story is about two school teachers, Ian and Barbara, who follow one of their pupils home uh, because they can't work out who she is. And uh, she leads them to a junkyard where there's a querulous old man and a police box. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he's, that actor's 97, yeah. William what? Russell. Yeah, 97. He didn't look 97. Oh. 
That's amazing. See, I can kind of see the purpose of giving these people like a moment, particularly some of them who are older and you don't know if you'll see them again. So I don't know. I'm kind of, that's my sentimental side showing that I'm like, I didn't know exactly who they were, but I get the, I get the point that they're making of all these people who come back to earth and live, live lives. Um, yeah, it's sweet. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did. I did. Worry. It was. It was a very sweet moment. Um, but I did worry we were straying into uncomfortable territory when um Ian sort of says quite, quite, quite sweetly, he's like, "I'm sorry. Did you say? Did you say she?" Um, and I'm like, yeah. Mm, yeah, that could go. That could go very badly in modern Britain. Yep. I'm not sure how that could. <laughs> I I love that. That you know, because they've all been. Am I missing something? No, no. I'm just. Oh. I'm just saying, like, like an old, an older gentleman uh, struggling struggling with someone changing their gender. Yeah. Oh. Well, they, <laughs> like they they would and do. Like I'm not trying to be un, a cruel or anything, but I, you know, there's a lot of stuff now that just didn't happen 50 years ago. <laughs> sure, like, sure. I, I I just I just was like they're 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 just walking right up to that line and they're they're making it fine. It's it's okay. Uh, so I guess maybe we should spend a few moments reflecting on the Chibnall era as a whole. And I'm going to hand it to you guys because I really don't remember that much about it. Uh, <laughs> because every time I think, oh, the Chibnall era, oh, sorry, what I will say is there was some beautiful cinematography and some, like, lovely establishing shots of volcanoes and the Winter Palace and, you know, they had some lovely effects and all that kind of thing and it's one of the things that you have said previously, Stu, that the show looks really good. Um, there's sort of no cardboard set to be found. Uh, but perhaps it's made up for, you know, it's trying to make up for certain deficiencies in other areas. When I think about the Jodie Whittaker era, I think about Orphan 55, that really <laughs> episode. The, the uh, worst episode of the show ever. I think about the word, the flux, because of the way the northern accent pronounces it. The so <laughs> flux. But I can't really remember. Oh, no, the flux was a thing, but then it wasn't a thing. I think about Mary Seacole. That was quite fun. Uh, mm, I yeah, Mary Seacole. Yeah. When you said before about the um, sea devils, I realised I had completely forgotten what that was. And, yeah, and, there, was a whole, there was a whole special. It wasn't very good, spoiler alert. And had to take a moment to go, oh, that's right. That was, was that earlier this year or was that? Earlier this year, yes. It was earlier this year. There was a whole episode that I was like, oh, yeah. The Christmas episode or New Year's episode from earlier this year or late last year, earlier this Either year. Either the Daleks. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, yeah I like that one. That was fun. There's just a lot that I seem to forget. Oh, the frog, the wacky frog. The cosmic frog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, that, maybe my favourite episode of this era. Yeah, I couldn't really tell you if I had a favourite episode. If I had one, it would have to be Orphan Black purely because of how memorably bad it was. Orphan, Orphan 55. <laughs> What did I call it? Orphan Black. Black. <laughs> wow, so memorable. I forgot the name. <laughs> I am not doing well with this era of, of Doctor Who. So I, I sort of wonder if I need to go back and do a bit of a rewatch. Like Stu. Well, Stu. I, I, I oh, did a rewatch. This is the thing. Yes, I, I, I did a full rewatch in the last couple of months. And just, just to remind myself of, of everything and, and because I'm a masochist. But also... <laughs> Uh, like, like I, I did, I did find gems in there. Like, like I posted on Twitter a, a little while ago. Like, I, I was looking for positives, and, and I, I found like at least five episodes. So for for me, Eve of the Daleks, 
and I'm, I'm blanking on them now. This is this is ridiculous. Fugitive of the of the Jadoon, which I actually really like and I think does hold up despite most of the weird twisty things sort of not paying off in the end. Eve of the Daleks I quite liked. The Witchfinders I thought was really good. That, that was a lot of fun. And, and N- Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror I thought was really good. I, I, I liked it a lot. Oh, and, and, and It Takes You Away was my fifth. So, so those five, in no particular order, I think like if you were just going to, if you were like, okay, what, what's a good episode from the Chibnall era? One of those would probably do you. I wouldn't take any of those away. I think I'd probably add The Haunting of Villa Diodati, which has yes, problems. But I think that's yeah, the that's- one that nails the Doctor's character most clearly. And I think mm. yeah, that's been one of the real problems with this whole era for me, that nobody involved understands who this character is beyond yes. the one at the centre of the action who waves the sonic screwdriver and resolves the plot at the end. They have on paper an idea of this version of Jodie Whittaker's 13th Doctor, which is that she's hopeful, open to new experiences, She's an inventor. Like they, they made that very clear in the first episode and they occasionally remember it. And they remembered it in this one, but that, that she, they make yeah. a point of having her say, I'm, I'm, I'm a great engineer. It's like, yeah, you are. It would have been really good to see that aspect of you brought forward a lot more. She's hopeful and always looking forward to new experiences. What a universe. What an incredible universe this is. You know, I think there's a version of that that's on paper somewhere in a, in a, in a show Bible somewhere. They just never brought it out, or they only periodically brought it out. They, they, they didn't seem to be able to, to land on a consistent characterization in the actual scripts. You've pointed out before, Tom, that, and it was an incredible observation, that Chris Chibnall has said in interviews that he's oh, yeah. like, I, I think, I think Jodie Whittaker's incredible, and whatever I give to her, she'll, she'll do amazing. And Jodie Whittaker has said in interviews, Chris Chibnall's an amazing writer, whatever he gives to me will be amazing. And so they're both relying on they're both relying on each other yeah. to to come up with the characterization of the Doctor, and I think that that really showed. Like like she's very much a cipher. She's only ever worked for me when she's in contrast to other Doctors. Like when she's opposite Joe Martin's Doctor, suddenly she snaps into focus. Yeah. Suddenly Joe Martin is like a, a, a version of the Doctor that's very like Pertwee esque, like like very imperious and you know. A, a, a person of action and she's quippy and, and weird and, and strange and she's like this weird little gremlin with with um goggles on her head who's, who's gonna whip up instead of like out thinking someone she's gonna come up with a couple of devices that's gonna bamboozle them she's macgyver um, she's she's the macgyver doctor <laughs> wouldn't that have been wonderful yeah. like to have the macgyver doctor and especially especially you know yeah it, it just would have been great great and that's obviously the conception of her but it never came through and looking back over the list of episodes i think what is so striking is that in his third season he has half the universe destroyed and in his first episode of his first season he has the doctor jumping off a crane and i think (laughs) he thinks that's an acceleration and that having half the universe destroyed is much more exciting and interesting than having the doctor jump off a crane and you know what for me it's exactly the opposite Yeah. yeah watching her jump off that crane was thrilling yeah and most of what happened in Flux was meaningless. And yeah. for a writer that's been working professionally as long as he has, not to understand that is absolutely baffling to me. Because the, the universe is so big and mysterious and vast, and if the Doctor is like all power conquering the universe every episode, the stakes can never mean anything. Whereas if she's battling because Grace, was it, died in that episode? Yeah. Was she- in that episode and so you're, you're all of a sudden you're watching as a family is losing a beloved member 
and you know they're they're where the stakes are and you've got a intercontinental intergalactic super being having to deal with ordinary human stakes and it's the 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 difference in their relative powers to I'm not making sense anymore. I'm just finding that. <laughs> That's why I liked the haunting of Villa de Darcy so much because she's got a real moral decision to make towards the end of that episode about what to do with the Siberium. And it really got to what does it mean to be the Doctor? Uh, there's a lot of silliness in the haunting of Villa de Darcy early on, but that ending is really, really mm. special. And yeah, it, it's. it's um, and, and I, I know get what the that those ideas get through despite Chris Chibnall, not because of him. Yes, exactly. But, but do, you, do you know what it is too? It's. It's the Doctor taking agency over a story. So many of her stories, especially the finales, and especially like we we see it again here, is the Doctor gets trapped or or just decides not to act. She's such a passive character throughout so much of the run. And moments like that in The Haunting of Villa Diodati is her standing up and saying, no, I'm the one in charge here, and I'm the one who has to make a decision. And that's why that moment pops, because... So often, she her her solution is to literally walk away from the problem. Mm. And when she isn't, uh, you have this um, the, this gang of companions standing around doing nothing. I may have mentioned this on this podcast before, but uh, although I agree with you, Stu, I very much like Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. The companions just stand around doing nothing, and to prove that. Uh, on my YouTube channel, you can see a version of Nikola Tesla's Light of Terror where I have edited out every single line of dialogue <laughs> that all three of the companions has, uh, and it does not affect your enjoyment of the episode at all yeah. uh, okay. because wait, they contribute wait. precisely zero. Wait, wait. Tom has a YouTube channel? I mean, there's not a lot on, there's not a lot on it. <laughs> That's, this, is, this is the goss that we needed to know. Uh, what else are you putting up there, Tom? What's I haven't put anything up there for ages. There's a couple of bits of me talking about storytelling. There's a couple of bits of me playing bridge, if that's your idea of a good time, uh, and not <laughs> a lot else. I don't know how to play bridge. It seems it always uh, seems like well, a good card. Uh, uh, you, you can attempt to learn from my uh, faltering attempts if you'd like to, but <laughs> there are probably better resources if you think it's a game that you, you that might appeal to you. That is fantastic. Do, do, should people go and look at your YouTube chat? Is it just Tom sure. on YouTube? How do they yeah. find you? Um, yeah, I guess that would work. Just Google or YouTube yeah. search or whatever the appropriate phrase is. Apparently, I'm Tom Solinsky one on YouTube. Well, of course. Who else would there be? No other Tom Solinskys? <laughs> Not at all. No one could compete. There is also, no, there is. There's a Tom Solinsky 99 on uh, on YouTube. Where Tom Solinsky's 2 to 98 <laughs> are is an open question for well, the time being. Yes, exactly. Maybe you'll meet them in an in a, a elaborate but confusing crossover. well we are we've been podcasting for about as long as the episode ran which seems like a good time to start uh, wrapping up overall i mean do we rank these or we don't really do we we just kind of give sort of varying noises of of disappointment (laughs) yes exactly i like it various groans of disgust i I personally found the Rara Rasputin and all the doctors, you know, changing into each other and the bits with the companions and the doctors, I found that charming enough and kind of heartfelt enough to, to be like, oh, that's, that's sweet. Um, everything else was kind of, wow, this is a lot being thrown at me, but maybe, maybe my brain has been too much in the slow measured house of the dragon mode and not enough um, bang, bang, bang. I gave it one and a half stars out of five. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> on, on that measure, I was probably more generous. I would probably give it like two and a half. I I, I thought I thought it stuck the landing, I, and it, it left it left me feeling hopeful for the future, which oh. uh, is something do- the Doctor Who should always do. 
that is true. That is true. Um, well, with that, um, we will return. Well, Stu and I will return at some point with more podcasts, more podcast action. We've got some more Robin Hood to do. Uh, Tom, would you like to join us for either Russell Crowe's Robin Hood or Taron Edgerton's Robin Hood? <laughs> what, what a terrible thing to offer our guests. <laughs> Hi, Tom. Would you like a couple of hours? to you. I've never seen the Taron Egerton one and I uh, didn't for very, you know, very strong reasons when I saw the trailers and went, no, that looks terrible. How dare I haven't they? seen either, but I, I do remember Russell Crowe, I think actually walking out of a Radio 4 interview uh, when the interviewer had the temerity to suggest that his accent wasn't 100% on point all the way through the film. <laughs> well, we were just talking, who was I talking to this with about um, Russell Crowe's accent in the Thor Love and Thunder movie, which I still haven't seen, but apparently he's just doing like a Greek-Australian He's doing Con the Fruiterer is what he's doing, Natalie. That's a reference you'll get. Yes. No, I know Con the Fruiterer. Tom won't. Con the Fruiterer was in a comedy show in Australia from the late 80s, The Comedy Company, and he was a character like a Greek Melbourne, well, a Fruiterer. And so Greek Australians have a particular particular kind of accent. Um, And so apparently Russell Crowe was doing that in the film, which Australians would get. To British viewers, he sounded like um, Harry Enfield's character from Saturday Live in the 80s, Stavros, yeah. uh, the East yes. End Greek kebab shop owner. Hello, everybody, pips. That's, 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 that's exactly it. Yes, exactly, exactly it. Yes. yes, it's basically what happens when... I go to when... the laundrette and they give you the special flop at the basque. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so Russell Crowe and accents is perhaps not... Uh, I mean, he does, I suppose he does a good American one. Oh, he must. Yeah, I mean, Russell Crowe first came to my attention in LA Confidential, which is, uh, I venture to suggest, the best American film of the 90s. Oh, wow. Come at me. You didn't even consider Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves in that? (laughs) (laughs) Bold of you, Tom. Bold of you. No Titanic. You know, come on. Best Picture winner. Uh, um, I'll I'll, I'll stick by my Pulp Fiction is the one that gives me longest pause. But uh, I would probably still go for the the sheer depth of characterization in LA Confidential. I do think wow. it's an absolute masterpiece. I mean, another movie set in LA, Clueless. That didn't. That <laughs> Clueless got Paul Rudd in it. Did LA Confidential have Paul Rudd? No, it didn't. It didn't. I'm starting to reevaluate now. <laughs> As if um, that was a Clueless joke. Uh, three jokes. <laughs> three three jokes. That. There we go. We've reached the quota. Woohoo! Um, but yes, we'll be doing that, and then we're we're looking at doing maybe the Fast and the Furious, Tom. I don't know what you on the Fast and the Furious franchise is. I'm fascinated so by the Fast, about this. And, Fast and Furious franchise. Absolutely fascinated. Are you okay? The, uh, well, yes. I, I kind of steered clear to them, no pun intended, for a, a while, and then people were making such a fuss over. I think it was Fast and Furious Six uh, that I eventually decided I should figure out what was going on, and so I watched the previous five over like three days before going to see six at the cinema. Uh, and oh. now I'm a, a, a complete convert. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh. I think I think at their best, and they're not uniformly good, and the most recent one I thought was very disappointing. Mm. But at their best, I think they're sensational. Okay, Five well, and this- seven in particular, I think, are, are just out of this world. This seven is-, is my favourite, and I can't wait to do it. This is why we need to do this, because I've never seen a Fast and the Furious film. I know that there are jokes about it's all about family. I know that The Rock is in it. I know that Jason Statham is in it. As a sort of story about how films get made and how franchises evolve, it's particularly fascinating because what's what people love about the best ones, five, six, seven, is they know exactly what they are. Yeah. 
But what's yeah. so interesting is when you watch one, two, three, and four, it's absolutely clear that nobody making them has the least idea what they're doing. Uh, and everybody is just making this up as they go along. And there is no plan or anything remotely resembling a plan to create a franchise. And they move so far away from those early ones that it's almost inconceivable. And yet, in their sort of demented obsession with building a universe, they never forget that those older films exist. Yes. That there's always a scene where they have to race some cars. Yes. <laughs> But also then just just bringing back old characters completely yeah. randomly when the franchise has moved so far on from what made those characters meaningful in that film. It's like, and now we're going to bring this guy back. Anyway, no more spoilers now. You've got a, uh, a very exciting road ahead of you again, no okay. pun intended. Well, this is what I thought. You know, I've never seen them. Stu has, and I'm sure we'll get on guests, uh, guests who have or have not. Um, so please, Tom, let us know. You'd be very, very welcome to come on for any number of Fast and Furious films. That you 100%. Are. Just let me know. <laughs> and so as we uh, always do like to say, if you do have anything you want to call in about, whether it's about Doctor Who or our other podcasts, obviously Hot D, we've just wrapped up. So we're, we're dragon free for a little while. And then Robin Hood to come, Fast and the Furious. Oh, Tom, we're going to call it Revan On. So that's <laughs> Very yeah. good. That's our subsection. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, cracked. I was I was like two Raven two on I, I can't I can't figure out what it's going to be and then it's like yeah no it's it's got to be Raven on so I said that to Stu on mic and uh, the reaction was just as delighted as I was hoping for so. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be doing that if you are on Twitter at girl clumsy is me at disco Stu is Stu and Tom is at Tom Salinsky and that is Salinsky with a Y you can listen to best pick. Tom's podcast with Jessica Regan and John Dorney, also massive Doctor Who expert, big Finnish writer, very, very, very clever Doctor Who person, um, best pick pod um, if you want some more movie deep dives and very well researched. They also have a book out, which you can buy at all reputable places, I imagine. Oh, my patrons on Patreon, patreon.com slash girlclumsy. Thank you so much for being a patron. Your support is invaluable and it has been 2022 wouldn't be 2022 without you uh, so thank you very much facebook.com slash natalie's throne is the facebook page and i think that's all the credits that we need to thank except for me thanking the marvelous Stuart late as always and the brilliant tom Slinsky for joining us thank you so much gentlemen thank you for having me uh, and as we always like to oh how do we sign off dr who <laughs> well we, we've been saying bye fam but i guess we can say tag you're in oh yeah yes. oh that's a great that's a Lovely. great podcast so, all right, David Tennant, tag your it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you all very soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.